I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks. We are back. Uh, it's another Miami Midway update podcast because Miami continues to be Miamiing. It's uh, it feels like it's been going on quite a long time. There's still um, quite a lot of it to go. Um, David's here. Hello, David. Hello. Okay, good chat, David. Good chat, Matt's here. <laughs> hello, Matt. I'm into hello, Miami, Catherine. as you can tell. How are you? <laughs> I'm right. David, folks, has been up since uh, since 3 a.m. Uh, today. He claims he got back to sleep and had a, a, a bit of um, supplementary sleep on top of that. But basically, he woke up at 3 a.m. and watched the deciding set of Kasper Ruud and Alexander Zverev. So while he'll be able to give detailed analysis of the final set of that match, he might not be firing on all cylinders in other departments. <laughs> Short on so, ma- so make it a really excellent description, David, of that deciding set. Go. Okay. Well, I think I can because I found it very interesting. I, I joined it with Kasper having just lost the second set 6-1 and he's having extensive treatment to his foot. Turns out all for blisters and he needed it retaped. Now, I think as well after losing the set 6-1, there probably is a bit of reboot going on. Um, but he said once he got out there again in the third set, it immediately loosened up and boy did it because he raced into a three love lead in that third set and it was it was like he went through a mental reboot as well because he he clearly decided to just go for it and take it to Zverev and that I thought that rocked Zverev back on his heels and um I I thought that that's a bit of a trend in Zverev's career if you can stand up to him I was thinking but it reminded me quite a lot of elements of that Denis Shapovalov match that Zverev lost at the Australian Open somebody stands up to him what's Zverev going to do about it and he went in I felt he went passive he went into his shell the serve is not as reliable as it was last year he's he was down at 67 percent first serves in for the match which it's okay but we've seen matches where he's had 80 percent several matches in a row and Rude was explosive. He, it was the biggest win that he's ever had in in ranking, and it's it was on a hard wow. court, you know. And he's he's reached three other Masters one thousand clay court semis, but he's never reached a hard court one. He's never beaten Zverev before. 
He, he'd played him twice and he'd lost both of them in straight sets. One of them, you know, quite close sets. But he'd always looked like somebody who just, on a hard court, doesn't have the weight to shot, doesn't have the the comfort on the surface, and Zverev does. And this was totally different. He was just going after it. And it, and it was it was very interesting to watch. And the same thing happened when Ogier Aliassime beat Zverev at the start of the year in the ATP Cup. He went for it. And there's a theme developing there that if you can do that, if you can get enough returns back in and push him on the back foot, he doesn't like it. And he doesn't have necessarily the response to, to come through. And I would add Tommy Paul into that list of players who've mm. taken it to Zverev and, and beaten him. Tommy Paul did that in Indian Wells a couple of weeks ago. And actually... Zverev's not having a great year results-wise. You mentioned the Shapovalov. That was a straight sets loss in the third round of the Australian Open. Bublik beat him in the Montpellier final. Another guy who has the capability to just take it to you and sort of be really aggressive and take the racket out of your hand. And I think all of these players have, have done that to Zverev and he's not, he's not responding. I, I think he's had too much success playing a style of tennis that actually doesn't suit him you know he's had too much success kind of grinding away behind the baseline in these in these big matches and that isn't that isn't the style that best suits him he's best when he's on the front foot being aggressive but he lapses into that other style so much and I think players are really learning to take advantage of that now yeah he's he's got he's far better at being a grinder than a a six foot six, six inch bloke with his weapons has any right to be he is you know he's all right at it but that is <clears throat> that's not the game that's going to win in grand slams that's it, um, isn't it? it's a and winning it. grand slams is, mm. is is what he's here for isn't it um yeah it's it, it's, it's not a good year for him is it i still i i, I yeah I go back to that australian open that as, as you pointed out matt it was the nature of that loss straight sets not even close to denis shapovalov who also not having a good year is it? who did Shapovalov lose to this week it, it was you know almost a week ago I think that that happened Lloyd Harris I think it was Lloyd mm. Harris um, we even got that into one of our other update shows because it was we? so early in the tournament <laughs> and just just on Zverev as well and I may be stretching this too far but it did occur to me during this match how quiet he was and I do wonder whether in the back of his mind is I can't afford to get out of line I can't afford to lose my temper because, you know, one un- unsportsmanlike code of conduct, and he is going to be banned. Um, and uh, and I wonder whether that makes him inhibited as a tennis player. But, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's certainly... There were points last year when he would impose himself on matches, and it's almost as though it had he twigged that I have to put away this grinding from behind the baseline. But I'm sure it comes down to confidence, because when you're... When you start getting rattled, when you lose confidence, you go back into whatever comfort zone you have, whatever baseline level and standard game you feel comfortable with. And his serve is not functioning the way he wants it to, and he was not playing aggressive tennis. So, yeah, I, I think I think there's and and Clay Clay isn't necessarily going to be the answer for him. Rude Rude was worthy of that win today, really was. Rocky old year for the new big three. <laughs> is Nadal not part of what he said it would be? No, 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 David. Medvedev, Goodness, no, forget and... Nadal. <laughs> Medvedev, Djokovic, and Zverev is the new big three. 
we're told. Um, Medvedev, I think, is um, is is really motivated to get get back to number one, isn't he? He doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be the guy that that had number one for for a couple of weeks and and lost it, does he? He doesn't want to be. Pat Rafter or Evgeny Kafelnikov, does he? With you know, with the, those two are obviously great players, but he wants to be, you know, okay, he's never going to achieve the number of numbers of Novak Djokovic. I don't, you know, I wouldn't have thought, but he wants to be an established, long-term, dominant world number one, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so, and it does feel like motivation is the right word. I think there was probably some sort of pressure before to get to number one he was in such a good position uh he'd never been there now he has at least had a couple of weeks there now he's just motivated to get it back and keep it and he's one match away from doing that if he beats Hubert Hercatch tonight to make it into the semi-finals he will be the new world number one when the rankings come out next week uh going into the clay court season um and I think he's played pretty well this week Medvedev for a for a surface that I don't think he loves. I think it's a bit slow and a bit high bouncing for him. It's not his favourite. He has to adjust, but he's so good at doing that. And I thought uh, his match against Brooksby was interesting. Two of the more unorthodox players on the ATP Tour, just their stroke production, what they look to do with a tennis ball is interesting. And um, Medvedev was a breakdown in that first set, but stayed calm, got it back, and then really really took over and um yeah i think he's in quite a good place but it's a tight tight head to head he's got with her catch all of their matches have been have been close and obviously her catch does like these conditions in florida so yeah interesting there's 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 a lot on this match tonight for medvedev because if he doesn't get it back now he's not going to love the clay court season obviously he's got lots of points he can make up on the clay court season but you know it's not his favorite time of year as we know Good title defence from Hubert Hercatch, isn't it, so far? Pretty pretty impressed by that, actually, because he doesn't strike me as the sort of character that would love, you know, that would puff his chest out and go, this is my turf, I'm the defending champion here, this is this is my title to lose. But he's just quietly having a, yeah, having a really good title defence, and I, you know, good on him for that. Um, and that head-to-head against Medvedev is interesting. I still think, I still think just call off the whole competition because Alcaraz is in it. He just looks, he looks to me like he's playing a different sport to everyone else. We were, uh, we were all in a, a WhatsApp chat yesterday, um, the, the three of us with, with my brother, which, which was sparked because David was seeking the right audience uh, to <laughs> reveal, <laughs> to reveal that he had hit an underarm serve in a friendly doubles match at his local club the night before. And I love the thought process, David, that you thought, I could just tell Matt and Catherine, but I might not quite get the get the appreciation that I that I need from this. So I'll go into the Kiri Optimists chat, which yeah. isn't called that at the moment. Goodness knows what it's called. And uh, It's called Kirio Not This Again now. Oh yes, that feels appropriate. Um, and you did get the reaction you wanted from from a different Whitaker. Actually, I, I, you're right. I did deliberately put it in that chat, and I did it because I thought I thought he might give me a bit of backup because I thought I was going to get some stick from you, and I was right. Um, in fact, there was <laughs> there was some some fallout of words, um, but I thought your brother 
is the kind of curioptimist who just appreciates the ambition and the nerve and the sheer audacity to go for a shot like that in a a rubbish Tuesday night doubles match at Henley and Arden. It, it's the double. It's the doubles of it all that I take issue with. I think you're just setting up your partner to get smacked in the chest, basically. P.S. Folks, it, it didn't make it over the net, so we'll never know. No. <laughs> also, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot harder than you think, actually. It, it was anyway, wasn't on, wasn't it contrary to everything you believe about the underarm serve that it should be a tactical thing? Mm. You, you said yeah. you did Matt's it on a whim. Matt's first oh. question was, uh, how far behind the baseline were they standing to receive? Yeah. David was I like, mean, didn't, he, didn't even clock that. Well, Irrelevant. I, did, I mean, the truth is, I, I did literally think of hitting it <laughs> a second before I did it. But, and, and I've thought about it in the past. One day I'm going to hit an underarm serve. I've never done it before in a, in a situation like that. And I was playing the lad who's who's only about 15 but he's by far the best player on the night like he's the best player in the whole club um and i thought i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna do it and so i, I tried to do one of those sort of side spin backspin efforts you know and i didn't really catch it properly and it went into the bottom of the net and then about and then we changed ends and i, I actually held serve we changed ends and then he's serving to me and he tries one as revenge and his was worse than like mine. That. He he kind of tried to go for also a side spin one, and he kind of hit the frame of the racket, and it went <laughs> off at a sort of forty five degree angle the wrong way. Anyway, so that was my night. This sounds like appalling tennis. It wasn't great, I have to say. <laughs> anyway, you got the desired response uh, yeah. from from Matthew Whitaker. Uh, he yeah. said the the normalisation campaign starts in Henley and Arden. <laughs> Quite right, yes. Of the uh, of the underarm serve. Anyway, but it, we, we with the chat evolved um, into talking about Carlos Alcaraz, and um, Math said it looks like he's been he's a player sent from the future, sent back from the future. He said it's like if you dropped Nadal into tennis in nineteen seventy five, and I that clicked with me. I thought, yes, that mm. does does feel like what I'm watching. This is just it's just different gravy. Um it it, it makes me gasp all the time. And uh, I feel it feels like he gets better with every match. Now I'm not saying he's not susceptible still. He's still eighteen years old, you know, he could he could have a lapse in concentration, he could have a bad day, I don't know. But his top level seems to me so much higher than I mean, his medium level seems so much higher than anything else I'm watching at the moment. Am I, am I, am I too aboard the hype train, David? Surely not. I mean, you think he's going to win the French Open? You, yeah, no, driving but no, the you, hype train. You seem to think he's never going to lose again. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, well, when you watch him, it's hard to imagine him losing. I, 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 I watched it with my own eyes two weeks ago to Nadal, but that took a feat of. You know, classic Nadal, mind over matter. You will not break my will, and that is the greatest will the sport has ever seen. It, of course, he's going to lose again. Could lose really soon, but when you watch him, I'm thinking, well, how can he ever lose? 
Well, watching that match back, I watched it the next morning, but I did it on one of the catch-up services where you see the duration of the match quite irritatingly on tennis TV. It's a great service generally, but they show that the match was two hours long. And so I'm just watching it, and I, you, I kind of feel like you get to a certain point in the match, you know how it's going to end. And Sitsipas went up 5-2. And, he, and frankly, he, he was in the other service games that, Alcaraz held as well he was really putting pressure on it reminded me very much of the way he took on Yannick Sinner at the Australian Open he intended to go out there and show this kid a thing or two and he he, he imposed himself and he was brilliant for for 20 minutes um and he and I thought Alcaraz is I don't want to say getting found out here but he he he'd had somebody stand up to him and impose a game on him that he was struggling to live with I felt just at the ver- just in that first 25 minutes but his ability to turn that around without Sitsipas's level noticeably dropping dramatically I think it did in the second set but I think he was sh- so shaken by the seven game run that Alcaraz went on which included probably one of the best tweeners I've ever seen where he got lobbed volleyed and he got all the way from the net back to the backstop when he's at point blank range and still managed to hit a through the legs tween a lob, um, which which then extracted a, a tweener attempt from from Sitsabas. Amazing feat. But he did this several times. The the quicksilver nature of his footwork to get back, his touch on the lob, his touch on the drop shot, and the sheer violence of his ground strokes, forehand and backhand. It's just astonishing to witness what he's able to do. And Sitsipas couldn't respond. It was very similar in that way to their US Open match. These gasps from the crowd, this look on Sitsipas's face, if to say, "What? What am I up against here? This isn't normal." And I don't know. I, I can only say it feels like watching young Nadal. And how many times have I said that already? And he hasn't even done much yet. So it's him against Medvedev is a match I cannot wait to see if it happens because it's just another indication for us of where we are. Where is he? Where does he stand? Because Medvedev's not going to be having it, is he? He's going to believe that he's got the game to tangle him up, sort him out, make him malfunction. Can't wait. Just uh, writing off the challenge of uh, Hubert Hercatch and uh, Mirmir Ketsmanovic there, David, oh, man, who is standing is in the way of that meeting. So well, I mean, though, Isn't he? Yeah. Do you know what he is, David? Do you know what he is? No. He's agricultural. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I'm very impressed with Ketchmanovic. He is really improved. Yeah, where's that come from? Any theories, Matt? Is it now Bandian? I think so. I've got the uh, where has Ketchmanovic come from question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's all loaded up for his Alcaraz. You're, you're, you're also about to get the Sarundalo question. <laughs> that so, one I uh... can do. I can do that one. Um, well, the thing is, he's been with Nalbandian for a while now. You know, it's not like it's not like Nalbandian came stuck, in in the off season. But, but they've really stuck with it, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, and I think that's there were some dodgy results when Nalbandian first came on board. Yeah, I think that's something. I think so many players quit on a coach early. You've got to. You've surely got to give these things time and. Yeah, I mean, Kecmanovic really has had a fantastic start to the season and I totally did not see this coming. I I thought Kecmanovic had been around enough now that we knew who he was. Yeah, we knew who he was, totally. 
Yeah, and he and he beat Taylor Fritz the other night, and I think yeah, I think, I think Taylor Fritz was a little bit out of gas. He, he just looked like he'd reached the end of his winning streak. He, he'd just come to the end. But for Ke- you know, Kecmanovic has been winning a lot of matches recently as well. So for him to still be sort of physically going, I think is impressive. And look, I think Alcaraz will beat him because, as you said, I agree with all the things you've just said about Alcaraz and, and that top level being just mind-boggling at the moment and he's finding that top level repeatedly but you know that wouldn't be a bad loss for Kecmanovic if he does lose to Alcaraz because as you said everyone bar Nadal is losing to Alcaraz at the moment. So those are the two quarterfinals yet to be played in the top half of the draw we've got Medvedev Hercatch and Alcaraz Kecmanovic in the bottom half of the draw they are they are a step ahead because you know it would it would be ridiculous if we all just knew where we were with the various draws uh, in the Miami Open. It must be a confusing situation. Uh, so in the bottom half of the draw, they're a step ahead and we've got a semi-final already set up between Casper Ruud, as discussed, and Francisco Serundolo, um, who, along with his brother, have have pack-hunted that, that bottom half of the draw. Juan Juan Manuel Sarundalo, poor old Francis Tiafo is uh, is in a hall of mirrors where everyone is a Sarundalo. <laughs> yeah, they've pack hunted him out of the draw. Juan Manuel <laughs> couldn't quite do it. Francisco finished him off. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of of lines of stats which should have illustrate what an incredible run this is for Francisco Sarundalo. I mean, if we go back a year. Pretty much. That was when we first discovered not only that there was one Sarundolo, but that there were two. And it was actually Juan Manuel who I think came to everyone's attention first because he won uh, Cordoba, I think as a wild card, out of nowhere. And then the next week, another Sarundolo, Francisco Sarundolo, reached the final of Buenos Aires. So they did these two great things back to back last year. And it. They've been solid since then, but pretty quiet. Nothing spectacular. And Francisco Sarundola has now reached the semi-finals here, having never previously won an ATP match on a hard court. That's extraordinary. He'd, he'd never even won a match at a 250 event or a 500 event. He's now reached the semis of Miami. He'd never played a Masters 1000 on any surface. And he's into the semi-finals here. So... He's the first player to reach um, the semi-final of a Masters 1000 without playing one before since Jerzy Janovic in Paris in 2012, who, of course, went on to reach the final. That's that's in the, in the ATP media notes. Uh, and he's the lowest-ranked Miami men's semi-finalist in the tournament's history at 103 in the world right now. And, you know, he's beaten Monfils, he's beaten Apelka, and he obviously took advantage of Sinner's blisters yesterday and Sinner Sinner couldn't finish the match after five games he retired but yeah he's got a he's got a big quite a big game I think Juan Manuel is is more your traditional clay quarter but Francisco's got power he, he can really take take the ball on and yeah it's a it's a pretty incredible run and obviously it's a big chance for Casper Ruud in that semi-final more than anything but you would have to say it's a big chance for Serundolo as well because Rude's never got to a Masters 1000 final either. So opportunity knocks for both of them, I think. 
He did well with his surrender low section, didn't he, David? We're we're off the hook. He did better than me the other day because <laughs> I I was watching another match when Francis Tiafo on the tennis TV feed came onto the court and I thought I'd have oh who's he playing. Oh, uh, Surundalo. I tell you what, I'll, I'll I'll leave that and get on with what I'm doing. So I let, I, I kind of left that one to go. And an hour and a half later, Tiafo had won. He, he's through. Um, and then the next day, I, I see Tiafo against Surundalo on the on the the kind of multi choice platform. And I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, I'm sure. I'm sure this has already happened. They've got something wrong here. This this is. And and then sure, sure enough, he, he he carries on and he loses to him. I'm thinking, what? what was he? What, can you have a lucky loser in the middle of a draw? I mean, I know I've got long COVID, but and this brain fog is causing me some issues. But I mean, this is just too much. If I'm getting this, and then I looked up the draw and realised there were that was the moment I realised there's two of them. Um, I know we've had this a year ago where you you introduced us to it, Matt, but I'd clean forgotten. Uh, but Manuel, I think, is ranked about 128 in the world. So it's very, very interesting. There's three years between them, um, but very similar rankings. And, yeah, it'll be, it will be fascinating to see how they end up going from here, really. Which one's going to have the better career, Matt? <laughs> what a question. Another great question. Uh, I'm going to say Francisco with confidence. That is recency bias, isn't yep. it? Right. Okay. It, it does. Uh, <laughs> does Francisco stand a chance uh, against Casper Rude? Yeah, I think he does stand yeah. a chance, given the players he's beaten. I, I think Rude will win, but yeah, stands a chance. He, he's the best Sarundalo brother. <laughs> In the Sarundalo rankings, he is number one. Okay, well, Casper against Francisco Sarundalo, that's a semi-final. Uh, so that'll be played in a couple of days' time. So you've got a couple of days before that prediction potentially goes out of date, Matt. Um, one last thing, unfortunately, to cover before we move on to the women's draw is... It is Nick Kyrgios uh, and what happened in his fourth round match, or was it a quarter? No, it was a fourth round match, wasn't it? Against uh, Yannick Sinner, which he lost in two straight sets. Uh, and yet Yannick Sinner was very, very good and a very deserving winner. Um, but of course, it was ended up not being about that. It ended up being about what was going down the other end of the court, which was Nick Kyrgios receiving... Uh, point penalties, game penalties, um, I hope fines subsequently. Um, he was abusive, in my opinion, towards umpire Carlos Bernardes. Um, and just like he did in Indian Wells, has doubled down on it in his press conference rather than sort of saying, you know, he to the moment, I wish I hadn't said those things, but I did. He's, you know, been taken aback that he's even been even being asked to explain himself for his behaviour towards towards the umpire who he said some pretty well not pretty he said some ghastly things towards in my opinion um Carlos Bernardes um said after the match I got frustrated can't I get frustrated I think Carlos Bernardes doesn't know how to control the crowd crowd well everyone will have their opinion if they're my I just think my penalty was not deserved um, and he posted on Twitter to a similar effect, actually an even stronger effect. He his tweet 
ended with um, with hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. That was the decision he made because the umpire's feelings got hurt. And then in caps, get new people. I mean, I think this is really appalling, like horrible. He's He seems to be calling for the in, entire profession of umpiring to be sort of sacked and replaced with people like him. I don't know. I mean, I, I really resent that we're having to talk about this, but we are having to talk about this. Um, it was really unpleasant, I thought. And this is this is the absolute worst of Nick Kyrgios. And it's it's horrible. And the fact that he doubles down on it when he's not in the heat of the moment, I find pretty unforgivable, really. Because his defence is, oh, it's the heat of the moment. Am I not allowed to get frustrated in the heat of the moment? Um, but he, you know, he seems incapable of apologising or admitting fault. And I think, I think that's fundamentally what's happening here. When he knows he's going to lose, when he gets into a stage of a tennis match where he realises his tennis isn't good enough, he finds something else to be the reason or the distraction or the cause of the fact that he's losing because he can't handle it. Yeah, well, I feel an idiot because I, I was talking about how dialed in he looked the other day and how uh, a good place he looked. And I think overall he, he is in one of his better spells. But you're right. I mean, I talked about Rude step, standing up to Zverev and that was what Sinner did here. He just stood up to him games-wise and stayed with him and pushed him to breaking point. And, and yeah, he... he he then rails against whatever's in front of him, and that's the umpire in this case. And look, uh, I sometimes like a, a fallout with an umpire if it's fun. You you actually put it into good words for me the other day. You said the difference is this was mean, the way he was behaving. It was, and in isolation, and really personal. The thing that he he was reprimanded by the umpire for saying something to Kyrgios's friend about the umpire and in isolation you might say well is that that big a deal but it wasn't just that he'd been baiting him he'd been saying stuff continuously to try to get a, a reaction and to and it honestly I loved that Carlos Bernardo stood up to him and just wasn't having it just just wasn't having it regardless of the detail I'm just not having this and and he stood up to him um and uh, yeah, I, I, the the stuff he wrote on Twitter. I think there's there's maybe grants for the ATP having a look at what he wrote on Twitter there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and also, I have sympathy and empathy with Kyrgios for the mental health struggles that he's ta- talked to us about, and I'm glad that he was open about them. But then he goes and starts talking about an umpire like that. Oh, your feelings were hurt, were they? You know, mocking him. What mm. you can't have it. You, you, you can't just have it for yourself, Nick. You've, other people do have feelings, actually, and treat them like human beings. I, I do sometimes wonder how would have re- reacted around in McEnroe's day if we were doing the tennis podcast 30 years ago. And um, oh, it's 40 years ago now, but I, I, think, I think I'd feel similarly. I would hate this, this feeling that McEnroe used to give umpires and and this feeling of bullying and this it's just just awkward and this is somebody I get on very well with in recent years in his post-career McEnroe but yeah there's a there's a there's a field that I can't be doing with and Kyrgios provided that again and and then I think we are seeing his limits really yet again and uh sooner or later 
at these big events, he's likely to run into somebody who can handle his tennis. And then it becomes a mental battle. Yeah, well said. I agree with all of that. This this incident reminded me of something Kyrgios himself actually said at Indian Wells when, when he was being <laughs> heckled, heckled in the front row. He said, oh, I'd, I'd never tell Ben Stiller how to do his job. So you don't tell me how to do mine. The very next tournament, he's spending a whole match telling Carlos Bernardes how to do his job and how to umpire. It is the worst Kyrgios trait, and this is not a one-off. He's constantly horrible to umpires. We've talked about it before. He's constantly putting them down or, or saying that they're only doing things for attention. No, he's the one doing things for attention, and he's the one treating them badly. And I, I can I can handle a lot of the Kyrgios stuff. I'm on board with a lot of the Kyrgios stuff. The umpire treatment is his worst thing, and it's a pattern. And, yeah, I, I hate it. I really do. And the fact that he doubles down on it in his press conference after and can't, can't even admit any fault whatsoever, I think is, is really poor and disappointing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, he's out of the tournament clay courts to come um interesting to see how much even even plays on the clay he's not playing any he's not, not playing play any the, not playing right. the french open not gonna bother okay all right see see you at wimbledon nick uh the special k's are still in the tournament though so tennis is safe ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. On to the women's draw, where Iga Svilntek is very much playing like the new world number one and like somebody 
uh, that is just saying, okay, I'm number one now. Uh, You shall all bow to me. And by bow to me, I mean lose to me and only get a handful of games uh, because that's what she's doing to people. You know, I probably came up with the worst logic in the world for why I didn't pick Sviantec to win this tournament. And that was because she'd already won the last two tournaments. I just sort of thought it had to end at some point. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd and, have gone with that. And, you know, the Sunshine Double is a very hard thing to do. Not many players have done it um, in history. So there is, I suppose there is some logic to that. But looking back on it now, her wins at the end of Indian Wells did not look like someone coming to the end of their winning streak. You know, she wasn't just getting over the line in matches in the same way that kind of Nadal was at the start of Indian Wells. And you and you sort of thought, OK, he might be able to keep this going to the end of the tournament, but someone might take him out. Shviontek was in her absolute prime of this winning streak in Indian Wells, and she's carried it on into Miami. And it's pretty, it's pretty incredible that this has coincided with her ascension to world number one. It's, 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 almost, it's almost like she's playing like this because she now is the world number one. It, it's like having that, having that role has brought out just this extra element to her tennis, this extra confidence. And of course, she was, she was playing well before she got to world number one, but even more so now. And yeah, she is in such good form. 15 wins in a row now, stretching across three different tournaments. Um, I think only, only Venus Williams, Bianca Andreescu, Maria Sharapova and Nicole Vydasova have been under 21 and come up with a winning streak like this in the last 22 years since the turn of the century. You know, that is the sort of company that this streak is in. It's, it's, you know, it's amazing what we're watching right now. And as you said, so many of those wins are easy wins, you know, barely giving up games. She's, she's head and shoulders at the moment above kind of everyone she's playing. And against different types of player as well. I mean, if mm. you think she beat uh, Simona Halep last week and then last night she's beaten Petra Kvitova, who's going out there swinging, and she just can handle these... these. She can get it back, she can retrieve, and then she can turn the tables and inject. It's it's similarly breathtaking to what we described Alcaraz as, and yet she's doing it with the target on her back of being world number one now. Um, and those two... I mean, look, it may only be a, an isolated period of time, but they look suddenly like they're about to dominate the circuit. It's, a, it's amazing to watch. Mm, yeah, they do. Um, so Sviontek now faces Jessica Pagula in the semifinals. Pagula, um, the beneficiary uh, of Paola Bedos's retirement yesterday in their quarterfinal at two consecutive day session matches where a player retired trailing 4-1 in the opening set that was a it was a it was a downer of a a day in Miami wasn't it it was a real you know balloon popping moment and I think there was probably enough tennis so that ticket holders wouldn't have got money back Mm. I mean I I don't exactly know the policy there but that's that was tough for ticket holders yesterday and odd that they both happened at exactly the same point, 4-1 in the first set for both matches. It was all just all just bad. Um, but yeah, Pagula, Pagula's really consistent. And, and Catherine, I know you have a thing about grown-ups 
players who are grown-ups and Pagula strikes me as one just mm. she's she's smart she can talk about a lot of different topics she's she's level-headed and she takes that onto court she's she's not distracted by things she just gets on with her game and that game is is tricky I think for players because there's not many who hit the ball just so flat and that with that trajectory I think it surprises opponents and um yeah I think I think this is her fifth 1000 event quarter final since the start of last season that's the most on the WTA tour and you know she's into her second semi-final uh now so yeah she's she's really just made so many strides and she's never she's never been American number one officially because of the quirk that happened in the rankings last season Kenin kept that spot even though sort of in the live ranking she was down at about 80 um she kept mm. her number one spot and Pagula didn't get it after the Australian Open this year because of Danielle Collins's amazing run to the final so she's never quite had it but I think if she were to win the title this this week she'd get very very close again so that's kind of in play for her and, and I, I think I think she's motivated by that unfortunately though she does have Shvantec the destroyer <laughs> next <laughs> uh, the other semi-final in the top half of the draw is Bencic against Osaka. Um, now I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm already dreaming about the Osaka Shvantec final and it being the start of the rivalry that I so desperately crave. Um, I'm dreaming about it. I'm wanting it. I'm sure it's going to happen. David, though, has got other ideas. Well, I picked uh, Bencic in the newsletter that we do every week to win the tournament this week after my initial pick of last week went out in the first round. That was Leila Fernandez. It was so long ago. It feels like another month altogether. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I kind of went for Bencic because everybody else had gone for other people um, and also because her points tally was quite good. Plus, plus, I I always like to have a look at somebody's road through a tournament. And she'd had a Svantec-like road through the tournament, winning matches all in straight sets without losing many games at all. And that that was always a a bit of a sign to me that somebody's just banging form. And I mean, look, I'm just looking up her head-to-head against Osaka here. It's 4-1 in her favour. That, I mean, that's that's quite something. And the last one was three years ago at the US Open when Osaka was the defending champion, but 7-5, 6-4. And she's won the last four meetings. The only one that Osaka's won was 2013. So there's something there. And I, I mean, I think it's counteracted by the fact that Osaka just looks in blistering form at the moment. But she is a player who can look incredible and then hit a bit of a an obstacle and 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 kind of go off the ball pretty dramatically as well. So I think you know if Bencic plays well it could be at the very least an interesting test of where Osaka is. It's the absolute nightmare match for trying to make a prediction because of what you've said David because the tennis I've seen from Osaka other than Sviontek, has been the best in this tournament. Just the sweetness of the ball striking reminded me of Andy Murray's tweet during the Australian Open. Does anyone hit the ball cleaner from the baseline than Osaka? I think I think she's combined for almost 70 winners in her last two matches against uh, Alison Risk and then Danielle Collins, who, who was injured, I think, in that match. Um, but then you've got the head-to-head and 
four one. I, th- I mean, it's it's sort of three nil on the on the pro tour. Um, that's enough of a head to head to suggest there's a match up problem for Osaka. But all of those wins were, as you said, in 2019 for Benchic, and maybe it was just you know a match up that year that really bothered Osaka. So I'm fascinated to to see them play again today. But Benchic can rush Osaka. I think she can take the ball really early, step into it, take Osaka's time away. But basically, I've just been reveling in watching Osaka play tennis this week like this again. It's it's the best she's played, certainly since last year's Australian Open. And it's just wonderful to see. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I found it really uplifting watching Naomi Osaka this week. It doesn't feel... I know what you're saying, David, um, about, you know, she can look a dream and then then it it can go. Um, but it, she hasn't felt on the edge of that to me this week. She's felt right in her comfort zone. I haven't felt nervous or anxious watching her thinking, you know, this is frail in some way. Um, it's felt just not quite comfortable, but just it's just been really enjoyable and comforting somehow to, to watch her play this kind of tennis. And yeah, I, I I'm, I'm excited for the Osaka Bencic match, but I have already decided that Osaka and Svantec are are starting their rivalry in the final of this tournament. And I shout, did you just roll your eyes at me, Matt? No, I was looking up their head to head, which which meant I had to look up (laughs) at my screen. (laughs) That's going to be my new new eye-rolling defence. A sentence with... Is that you eye rolling, and it not to be directed at me? Is um, <laughs> I wasn't I'm the eye roller. The I'm the eye roller around here. Folks. Am, what is I their head to head? I am so Kemper. on board this being a rivalry. Great, please. Give What's it the head to head? I can't uh, think of any matches. They played in Canada, 2019, when Osaka won seven six six four. Okay. So that was before Shviontek had won the French Open. Very much before Shviontek was the force that she is now. And it was yeah. still a, a close-ish match. Okay, yeah. right. My appetite is further wetted. It's going to happen, folks. Um, I don't really understand Belinda Bencic as a tennis player, just as a PS. She can she can be amazing and and it looks so... It makes so much sense when she's brilliant and winning gold medals and then she can disappear. Like, I don't even remember when or to whom she lost in Indian Wells. Yeah. We didn't we didn't mention it. I didn't, you know, pick her out in the draw. I, it just, I, I don't know. This is classic Bengtschik. I'm not reading anything into this whatsoever. This is what Bengtschik can do when she's playing well. We know this. But I'm not then expecting her to be doing this throughout the rest of the season. But these isolated weeks, she can be absolutely one of the best players in the world. She's another one who said she struggled with long COVID as well. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah the first few months. months of this year, she was she was really struggling. So I think it's hopefully a good sign that she's coming out of that now. Yeah, that's good to hear. Okay. Um, sorry that I've written you off, Belinda, <laughs> against Naomi Osaka. I think it will be a good match. I do. I'm looking forward to it. A um, couple of other things. Well, one, one main thing to wrap up from... From Miami so far, um, our last podcast we talked about uh, Victoria Azarenka and her 
packing it in and marching off court, frankly, um, against Linda Fruvitova, um, the 16-year-old phenom. Um, who did Fruvitova eventually lose to in uh, in Miami? She lost to Balosa. Ah, yes. And then Badosa, um of course, retired with uh, with illness uh, against Pagula. Um, well, we said we would await eagerly Azarenka's comments, statement um, about what happened in that match. And she did release a statement. She said the following, I shouldn't have gone on court today. Uh, the last few weeks have been extremely stressful in my personal life. That match took so much out of me, but I wanted to play in front of a great audience as they helped me pull through my first match. I wanted to go out there and try, but it was a mistake. I hope to take a break and be able to come back. I'm sorry to the fans for what happened as you were great to cheer for me. It was the only reason I decided to step on the court. I always look forward to the pressure and challenge of competition today. But today it was too much. I have to and will learn from this. I would like to congratulate my opponent and wish her the best of luck in this tournament and beginning of her professional career. So good on her for for saying that and owning it. Um, I'm sorry that she's struggling so much. I think it's understandable. I don't know if the the personal life stresses that she refers to are to do with, you know, being a Belarusian athlete, but I'd be surprised if that wasn't at least a factor. Um, I wish she had apologised to her opponent. I know she says at the end, I'd like to congratulate my opponent, but I, I felt like she deserved an apology as well, really. Um, but apart from that, I, you know, basically good on her for, for saying that. Mm. Yeah, she shook hands with the, her opponent, actually. We just didn't catch it on the main feed, but it was, it, even still, it was still... Not a good look, but Anna, like you say, I'm glad she she's come back to it. Um, just just one other quick thing I'd also wanted to come back to uh, from Miami was uh, Simon's report on on the ground of of how he's found this tournament versus Crandon Park. Had quite a lot of emails from listeners who, just from a fan perspective, have been and said they prefer the Hard Rock Stadium. They felt it much more easier to get around, to go between courts, and and they've enjoyed the experience. It, it, it feels, certainly from a fan perspective, as though those that have been anywhere have, are quite enjoying it. Lovely. Oh, to, oh, to be a tennis fan in Miami right now. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, <laughs> Shall we just quickly do a pronunciation corner on... Azarenka's opponent that we've that we've been saying. Oh, we because, should, shouldn't we? Because you had a voice note from yes. Daniela Hantakova. I had a message from a from a guy called John Mastrini who does the WTA's social media. Uh, he's he's a big pod listener and Fulham fan as well. And crucially for us here, Czech. And um, he says uh, Fruvertova. The, with the with the stress on the second syllable, the to being short like toggle, and the var being long like the var in Jamie Vardy, which I thought was uh, <laughs> was a fun was a fun way of helping us there. So hang on, is that the ver- same as how Daniela says it though? Daniela puts a bit of a sort of e. There's a bit of an e sound in there, isn't there? Well, this one I have to say is even tough for me, and I've done this already like ten times. Um, so here you go. Linda Fruhvirtova. She's pretty much like you say the H, but not really. And go slow because even for me it's hard. So Linda Fruhvirtova. Got it? <laughs> Let me know if you need more help, but good luck to us. 
She says, go slow, because even for me, it's hard. <laughs> Great. Fruvertova. Fruvertova. Okay. Thank you to Daniela and to what was the name of your Fulham fan friend? John. John. Thank you, How John. How many Fulham fans are in tennis? Too <laughs> many, David. Too many. American Andrews are Fulham fans. Everyone's claiming to be a Fulham fan. That is glory supporting, Matt. <laughs> I'm a fan of the Albion fans. <laughs> Um, okay, so wrapping up Miami, um, Joe Salisbury is going to be the doubles world number one next week. That's that's really great for him, isn't it? Yeah. And I'd particularly like to mention this because while I was at um, LAX Airport last week, in actually no, one one incident was at LAX and one was on an escalator in Heathrow on the way to arrivals, I got independently approached by both of Joe Salisbury's parents uh, to say hello and to tell me that they're big fans of the podcast. Oh. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. I did not know that story. That's amazing. Yes. To Joe Salisbury's... Salisbury. They both introduced themselves as, respectively, Joe Salisbury's dad and Joe Salisbury's mum, which I thought was just lovely uh, and they were both delightful um yeah so there we go congratulations to joe salisbury and his parents who have raised a world number one player yeah. pretty amazing and, I, and I, I do love the fact that it's it's such a work in progress for many years isn't it to get to this point and to build that ranking and to stay with the same partner Rajiv Ram who's I think number two going to be number two in the world as well you know they've become a fabulous pair and they've just had to build that from the ground up and you know he's done that without being a a big name singles player who's moved into doubles he's he's made himself a double specialist and it's it's a magnificent achievement it really is there was a nice piece from Simon pointing out kind of the struggles Joe Salisbury had to go through when he was younger, quite a lot of health issues. Uh, it was absolutely no guarantee that he would make it as a pro player. And the fact that he's world number one now, I think he's in his late 20s, Joe Salisbury, which sounds, you know, it sounds like the latter half of your career. But Simon Briggs pointed out that he's the second youngest player, I think, in the top 20 in doubles. You know, so many doubles players are in their 30s. I think only uh, Mate Pavic is younger than Salisbury of the top players. So, I mean, Rajiv Ram's quite a bit older, isn't he? But if he can, if that partnership can stay together, if he can find another partner over the next four or five years, there's no reason, I don't think, why Salisbury can't sort of continue being a top player for many more years to come. Really, really impressive. And if Medvedev gets to number one, We'll have three new world number ones on Monday, which because mm. that's when Sviontek will officially get there, Salisbury and Medvedev as well. Mm. Like it, like that potential stat. Uh, away from Miami, a couple of bits and bobs for you. We um, we marked your card uh, earlier in the week that both Dominic Team and Stan Wawrinka were launching comebacks at a challenger event in Marbella. It didn't go brilliantly. Uh, Stan Wawrinka lost to Ilias Ema uh, in his opening match and Dominic Team lost to someone honestly I've never heard of um, and th- and then um, announced that he's got COVID um, that's those <laughs> that's 
I know obviously comebacks, you know, you've got to keep your expectations low, but that's not gone brilliantly for either of them, has it? No, I mean, I think Wawrinka, I I would have expected him to lose that match. I think Elias Ema has been playing really well, actually, the last few months. That's that's not a bad loss, for sure. Um, For team... I mean, the worst thing is he made his comeback after so long and they and they dressed him in those horrendous shorts that Adidas are using at the moment. Made him look like he'd soiled himself. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Stitch up. Um, I, I tuned in within Five Love Down in the first set and I was really fearing the worst. I thought, oh my, oh my God, can team not play? Uh, is he in pain? All of that. I, I, I started watching and he actually reeled off three straight games and was hitting amazing shots. And I thought, oh, OK, this is more like it. This is quite comforting. Um, he was up against Pedro Cachin from Argentina, about 230 in the world, I think. Um, clearly, team was just extremely rusty. You know, I think even when even when team's at his best, he can sometimes make quite a lot of errors. And he did. You know, he just made so many errors in in parts of that match he was rusty but actually I came away from that before the COVID um, announcement I came away from that thinking that was positive for team because because he wasn't injured he didn't appear to be in pain and he actually entered Marrakesh next week you know sort of positive sign that he was feeling physically okay and that to me is the most important thing as long as he's physically okay I think he can make progress if the pain's gone um, but yeah, it's it's a reminder the depth of tennis. You know, you can't just you can't just rock up and expect to win after nine months out. You know, these guys mm. these guys can play down at two hundred in the world even. And this guy had a lovely drop shot. And yeah, it was it was a reminder really. And I think Wawrinka pointed that out on on Twitter as well. Yeah, I mean, I I so I so desperately wish them both the best for their careers, I feel, mm. uh, for their comebacks. I feel slightly differently about them. For Rinka, it feels like it would be you know a great bonus um, if he were able to to get back to some kind of level. Team feels I feel a certain sense of injustice for Dominic Team about what's happened to him since he reached the highest peak of his career, um, and it would be gosh, it would be desperately sad if he if he doesn't make it back so um wish them both very well uh, Matteo Bertini has had uh, a minor operation on his hand um he, he withdrew ahead of the tournament in Miami he's posted a a smiling surgical selfie well not selfie just photo which is sort of par for the course now when you have uh, when you have an operation so that when you win a tournament two weeks later broadcasters can flash up the the picture of you in a hospital bed and go oh my goodness <laughs> um look how far they've come so wish Matteo Berrettini well as well as do we to Elena Svitolina who sh- said that she's taking a break from tennis um she said it's been an extremely difficult couple of months mentally and physically she's got an issue with her back she says she's been observing with unbearable pain in her heart what's happening in Ukraine she needs rest um, she'll be missing the Billie Jean King Cup um, and a few of her favourite tournaments in Europe, um, which must be, you know, gut-wrenching decision for her. When you think of, you know, some of my best memories of Sutelina are her playing in Rome. I just think of her as somebody that comes alive at that tournament. Um, so she hasn't confirmed that she'll miss that, I don't think, but it, it seems potentially unlikely. Um, gosh, we we really wish her well and all the Ukrainian players. There was a 
gut-wrenching post from uh, Lisa Serenko um, earlier this week, wasn't there, about her having to make the decision to, to leave Ukraine and she just didn't know where to go. Um, it was desperately sad. Um, and unfortunately, we are we are going to have to end on a, another even more desperately sad note. Um, there's somebody... There's somebody we want to pay tribute to um, that died this week um, who's been tremendously important to this podcast um, and I think particularly to David personally and we're, we're all still reeling really from this news. David, um, tell us about Richard Moore. Yeah, Richard, we, we heard yesterday had died on Monday and um, Richard, if you don't know him and his work, he was a journalist for The Guardian, The Sunday Times, The Scotsman in the sport of cycling, mainly. That was what he, he, he sort of specialised in, although he, he got in touch with me a few times when he was asked to write pieces about Andy Murray in Scotland and sometimes he had, I remember he had questions about Andy Murray's injury situation after that press conference in Australia and, and he, he got in touch with me and and the reason he got in touch with me is because we'd got to know each other over the last seven or eight years because of the similarities in our in our journeys with the podcasts that we, we both are involved with. I mean, mainly, honestly, it was me approaching him because I wanted to understand uh, the journey that he and his co-founders and co-hosts, Lionel Burney and Daniel Freeb, had been on with the cycling podcast because they'd had such incredible success. And I wanted to to get some insight and and he was so generous with his time to me he he would take phone calls from me he would answer questions on email I think I've been in touch with him every year since then just to to update and to find out where they are with things and and the reason we now run the friends of the tennis podcast is because they run the friends of the cycling podcast and they did so so successfully and and it was it was just an inspiration really to me um and to all of us and it is it has guided so much of what we do um richard same age as me um wonderful author as well he wrote several books that, that people have been paying tribute to over the last 24 hours the dirtiest race in history the ben johnson carl lewis Seoul olympics 100 meter final slaying the badger was something that uh um, our good friend Stephen Farrow, who was who's high up at Tennis Australia, uh, mentioned to me yesterday was a book that he'd read, and it was just the book that that he takes with him as a memory and as a as a an inspiration from the sport of cycling in so many ways. And it's just desperately, desperately sad news. I, I feel so much for all the people who work um, and are involved with the cycling podcast. The outpouring of tributes and emotion to Richard tell you everything about what he meant to people and he's got a he's got a young family and um just so sad so sad to hear that news um and and i'll be internally grateful to be honest for for the guidance and the help and the time that he gave me yeah our podcast would not be where it is or what it is without richard and um yeah it's just it's desperately sad and um yeah, Bob, our thoughts are very much with everyone, well, his family, obviously, but everyone that worked with him. He, um, yeah, he had a big impact on a lot of people, and a lot of people really reeling from that. So um, thank you, Richard, um, for everything you did for this pod. Um, that's it 
for this week. Um, we'll be back on Monday, of course, rounding up Miami podcast when I'll at least know what stage of the tournament we're at, folks. Uh, and maybe even a little look ahead to the, the clay court season and the fact that Schwantek and Alcaraz are probably going to win everything. Um, so that'll be next week. Uh, we have got Friends podcasts coming to you as well. We've got two listener question specials coming your way uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, the questions have come in. They're excellent. Uh, you always do us really proud uh, with those. So they'll be recording soon and they'll be with you on the Friends feed in the next few weeks. Uh, we have our weekly mascot, Heinz Ward, named after an American football player that massive American football fan David Law has never heard of. And he's wearing a Seahawks, Seahawks hoodie again. By way of you, protest. You fraud, David. Uh, Heinz Ward <laughs> is a lovely 12-year-old Beagle Chow uh, mix owned by Karen. Uh, so thank you very much, Karen, and thank you to Heinz Ward and your lovely face for being our mascot. Uh, I've got Carter. David's got Darwin, Matt's got Gerald. I think I picked Alcaraz and Osaka to win the tournaments. Um, so, Carter, we're feeling okay about that. Um, Billie Jean, who's at daycare right now, has Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers. And Matt, we have shout outs. Yes. I need to start with a little apology. Do you remember Zug from the last shout outs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got told off by my mum. That is that is not how you pronounce that, apparently. <laughs> it is uh, Zug. Zug. Ooh, I mean, okay. how was I supposed to know? But apparently I should have just sort of learned that pronunciation by osmosis or something, being surrounded by my <laughs> German speaking parents. Anyway. You've disappointed your parents, David. Mm. Uh, Matt, rather. <laughs> Anyway, that will come in handy for a later pronunciation in the shout-out section. So I just thought I would get that in there. Oh. We start with Nadia Hamia in Paris. Hello, Nadia. In Paris? Oh, how fitting. We are currently looking into accommodations for our tennis podcast stint in Paris for the French Open in a couple of months. Thanks, so Nadia. Paris, Paris on the brain. Thank you very much, Nadia. Lovely name. We also have... Saga Shriramagiri from Hoboken, Ooh. just across the river from Manhattan. Oh, I have a friend that lives in Hoboken. Do you? Mm, it's in New Jersey, isn't it? Yeah. You, you've oh, met him, Dan. Dan, the cameraman. Oh, yeah. Dan, that Dan. takes Brilliant the amazing photographer pictures. as well. Yeah, yeah he lives in Hoboken. Pack. I've seen him sporting a tennis podcast T-shirt in the past. Yes. Great spot. Thank you very much for your support. Well done for living in Hoboken. <laughs> and the last shout out today is Layla, as in, and I'm quoting Layla, Layla as in Matt's wonderful 2021 rendition. <laughs> Layla's words. <laughs> is it spelt oh. the same? No. So this is Layla, L-E-I-L-A. Whereas the song is L-A-Y-L-A. -A. I'm having deja vu here. This is the same mm, conversation is. we had, isn't it? But Leila is in Luzerne in Switzerland, which I now know how to pronounce, I think. Uh, she's oh, an it's like, like, like a Lutz, like, a, like the ice skating jump, a Lutz, rather than loose, like Lucifer. 
Well, on that note. <laughs> Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Layla. For being our friend. Um, Matt's obviously not going to be forthcoming with another rendition of Layla, so we'll just have to... You can't improve on perfection. But <laughs> We'll just have to wheel out uh, the uh, clip of that, which one of our wonderful listeners did a did a rendition of for us, didn't they? A, 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 a mix down instead of our music, Catherine. Sold. See you next week. Layla, you got me on my knees, Layla. Oh yes. It's the first time I've ever heard Matt sing. It is. What a note to finish on. (laughs) Oh, God. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 